and welcome to the GM Scream. I am your co-host, Alex, joined as always by Matt, and actually, in interesting errata here, we're apparently supposed to have three hosts. And that would be me, Robert Arswaga. I like the fact that we just skipped me. Like, this is this is Matt over here in the corner being very quiet. <laughs> Don't worry but about Swa- it. But Swaga's better. He's here now. Yeah, I wanted to important. get to that bit. <laughs> I'm the important one on this episode. He's new. Uh, we heard your voice. And we've heard your voice, and today we're talking about pre-prepping for a campaign. And that's more relevant to me because I'm actually doing that. I mean... Um, I think we're all technically doing it right now. We're all technically doing it all the time, but mine's currently like in the activation phase. Yeah, and I think mine should... I was going to say meeting next week, but it's like a holiday. Y'all even going to be here? Um, Maybe. The water park's opening, so... Fair. This is going to date myself, but yeah, it's Easter, and I imagine people will be gone. (laughs) Oh, no. uh, Next week is uh, Renaissance Festival. Renaissance Festival. Anyway, Saturday. We're doing that for realsies. Yes, it's happening. Now you know. You say next weekend, as in like next week, not in four days, right? Guys, we are recording. Yeah, this is going to be everywhere. You all know our lives now. Go meet us at Sherwood Forest. I mean, uh, this is definitely not going up in the next three days, so... (laughs) Go meet us at the empty Sherwood Forest Fairground. Because you're probably listening to this in, like, October. At your leisure, please. Uh, Anyway, as previously mentioned, uh, we're here to help you run games better. Hooray! And the best part... er, best part what the fuck am i talking about (laughs) the worst part it's literally the worst part but one of the more important parts about running a game is having a game to run yes um, (laughs) i think i think we can kind of presuppose wait by having a game to run do you mean having literally any friends you can convince to sit around a table with you no when when this is coming up if you're actually coming to us for advice Firstly, I'm worried about you. Yeah. Uh, secondly, I assume that you have... Hey, we have a- hours of experience. <laughs> <laughs> like, you have presumably picked a game and press-ganged a bunch of your friends into playing it with you. At least showing up. Okay. Yeah, like, they'll show up and eat pizza. So the, the having a game to run, uh, we're specifically referring to having literally any preparation or idea for what you're going to do. Yes. Man, that sounds like a good idea. Let's talk about it. (laughs) So I think one of the things that I always think about when I'm starting to run a game, we Mm -hmm. all know that every, particularly D&D has a bunch of settings. Mm -hmm. And um, if this is an advice podcast, I'm going to presume this may be aimed at newer people. I don't know. Yeah. I can't. I can't think of any people who've been playing as long as I as we have who need our help. You so. mean like a decade plus? So we <laughs> yeah. can we can help those dudes. Yeah, I mean, oh, I definitely need this help, and I'm the one giving it to people. We accidentally uh, did the math on how long collectively we've been playing D and D, and I don't want to do it again now that you're here because no, it's just going to get worse. <laughs> um, but I bring up the pre predetermined settings: Greyhawk, Eberron, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, because Forgotten Realms, I believe, is the super popular one. Forgotten right Realms, you know, Drizzt, Jordan. Um, Ari Salvatore and friends. And friends, yes. Wolfgar. Um, the reason I bring it up is for a lot of new people, that can be a really strong jumping off point. Uh, because it's cool to run your own thing, but it's big and scary to make your own setting. Yeah. Um, so you, Matt, DM, I think most out of us? Definitely, yeah. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So in your experience, do you think it's, like, when you first started, did you jump right in with the... So... I jumped right in. Um, I actually have at the top of my little list of preparatory steps, because I prepared for this episode, uh, oh. create a world. Dude, okay. you were writing that as we were yeah. setting up the mic. That was. I still prepared it. That's, that's mic test prep, but it's still prep, everybody. So yeah, let's no, hear it. it doesn't... As long as you've thought about the things beforehand, they still count as prep. Uh, the moral of the story is that I... 
have never run a pre-made world by choice. I have run them for <laughs> like um, Warhammer and well, Warhammer <laughs> Adventures League. Uh, encounters and RPGA back in the day when those were the words for Adventures League. Now, this is um, an interesting point. Um, Shadowrun. Yeah, because I've been in a few of the Warhammer-related stuff, both the Fantasy and the 40K, mm-hmm. like run by you specifically, and you there you are definitely much more about staying within the canon. Is it out of some kind of like lore respect, or do you just not want to come up with space things? You didn't touch a single fucking thing in uh, Warhammer 40k that I didn't invent except for the white scars. Well, snap, look at this. That is correct, and I'm... Perfect. That is because I don't know shit about 40k, other than it's got space marines and some lizard people. Yeah, every planet and person and ship and when everything I, in there. Good example. When I went fantasy, um, which you were in, uh-huh. I had a little bit more leeway, sort of, or a little less, actually. Because, like, there's a literal map that contains the entire game world. Yeah, like, that one's difficult because it's one, basically one country. Yeah, Yeah. the world, in quotation marks, uh, is significant. Setting. Wow, that would be a much better word. The (laughs) setting is significantly tighter. It's significantly tighter, but even there, I mean, I put y'all in a not real town. Well, yeah. no, um, you you took the name of a real town that had never been described that's in a location you wanted to set a game in. I right. am out of my element, boys. Uh, <laughs> so what Matt is saying, he went a route where he used the setting to make everything. I took parts of the setting and cannibalized them to make something slightly unique, but still I could be within the bounds of what was happening, which made, for me at least, made it a lot easier to kind of plan that whole thing out because mm-hmm. I wasn't like just standing in an empty box swinging my arms in circles. Yeah, that can um, be tricky. Um, so I'm past- upset because I spent several hours cr- like crafting demons to have <laughs> as uh, opponents for you guys. I did not. I thought that you knew that was bespoke. You should take it as a compliment that I just assumed it was made by <laughs> Games Workshop. good enough to be made by the company that made the setting. Okay, that would be a compliment if it wasn't Games Workshop. <laughs> <laughs> Well, look, maybe it's like 2004 Games Workshop. I don't know. That's no, worse. that's fair. No, oh, 2004 was when, uh, that was back when Chapter Approved was a thing. <gasps> I picked a good year? Yeah, no, you picked a good year. That was, that was, 2005 was the last good year. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Which would be right around the time we were old enough and, to give a crap. And the next good year is, uh, we've been playing for a lot longer than yeah, that. Yeah. You got me there. The next good year is when Sisters of Battle come out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, slightly off topic. Yes. But, um. So building a world. So build. So, uh, I've built every world I've ever played in, even if it was in the, an established setting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we need to define both of those terms. The setting is the the uh, overall pastiche of the game you're playing in, whether it's Dungeons & Dragons, uh, it can be in Forgotten Realms, and that can be the setting. Uh, Shadowrun has a distinct setting. Ravnica's um, uh, new? Yeah, Ravnica's a setting. Yeah, they got all the Magic um, Gathering old, places now. Well, we're having to do is a D&D setting. But um, the worlds I create usually exist within the setting and take the, the rules of the setting and create the world. You don't necessarily have to do that. You can, you can take uh, the setting books from Forgotten Realms and just read through all of them until you've got a firm idea of the, of the world that you want to play the game in. But you should definitely have an idea of how the world that your game is taking place in operates. Right, and you can also, you don't have to, when you're doing this, you don't have to restrict yourself to one set, like one setting. Mm-hmm. Like things I'm working on right now, I'm pulling from multiple settings to make something 
that I personally feel is like interesting and not obviously new because nothing's new anymore. Yeah. But getting your grounding in one setting is great, but I think especially when you're building a world, always reach out and touch two or three more. See the variations on the themes that are common. Yeah, like there's there's nothing wrong with taking an existing idea. You know, imitation's the sincerest form of flattery and all that. Like, it's okay. Isn't that how the saying goes? Yeah. Yeah, like, there's nothing wrong with taking a thing or several things that exist and kind of just making your own junk out of it. Because, let's be real here, your players probably won't notice. So, uh, I'm a big fan of a slightly different quote. The, uh... Good artists borrow, great artists steal. <laughs> awesome, very good. That is a good one. I've definitely got uh, a niche enough interest in literature and other forms of media. Pastries. Uh, what was that? Pastries. <laughs> <laughs> that did happen. <laughs> um, Elaborate for the audience and also me. <laughs> uh, I think you're referring to the fact that every nobleman... Every nobleman. Oh, in, uh, <laughs> The country your party is currently operating in is named after some form of pastry. See, I couldn't, I didn't, it, it took until we got fired from the first guy and hired by basically his identical brother when I realized, oh, wait, y'all are sweets. Like, obviously the first one, his name was Lord Turnover. It's like, I'm seeing what you're doing there. I didn't know if it was a theme or if I just knew I wasn't supposed to take this guy seriously. So... Because uh, I didn't, full disclosure. So I'm going to forgive you for that statement because you haven't played any of the interim games, but you got hired by literally the opposite person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry, Matt. Go ahead. Um, yeah, like, I don't know much about him other than he saw us horribly fail and was like, I'll hire them, which was kind of rough on his part. That's not why he hired you, as three other members of the party are now aware. Um, okay. The, I feel threatened now. Where I was going from that is uh, I've definitely read a lot of like 25 cent pulp sci-fi from the 1950s and been like, man, this was mostly garbage, but I'm definitely stealing these three arcs of pieces of the plot and using them to create an adventure. Yeah. Uh, and, or using them to inform a world that I'm going to stick everybody in. Yeah, and there's definitely like... Aside from touching other settings, I think just being having a broad scope of just stuff you know is important. Not only in literature, like I'm a big fan of like the old Conan books. Mm. That stuff doesn't age well, but there's some mm. cool stuff you can throw in there from them. Yeah. The well, the idea of sword and sorcery, which is uh, what Conan is more than fantasy, because uh, fantasy has kind of taken on the role of like uh, dwarves and elves and magic and. You can have different types of fantasy, like uh, Warhammer Fantasy is a militaristic, low-fantasy, renaissance-era game, and Dungeons & Dragons is kind of a high-magic, or right now at least is a high-magic, uh, late-medieval game. Yeah, for clarification, how would you separate a sword and sorcery from just a like low-fantasy setting? Like, for example, like Game of Thrones would not be swords and sorcery. Game of Thrones would not be swords and sorcery, mostly because there's no sorcery. Um, there's like two okay, mages. There's, the, well, okay, I think it's like sorcery per capita, right? <laughs> Let me so. try that again. Uh, in sword and sorcery, usually the hero has... Uh, a loincloth. That is an artist's issue with Conan... Because Conan normally wears pants. Hey, don't you badmouth Frank Frazetta. I will fight Look, you. Look, I love Frank Frazetta. 
But everyone who has copied him, has, <laughs> especially in the uh, Marvel and then Dark Horse comics, which we all love. Dark right. Horse did a better job of fixing this than Marvel did. Which is a shame because he's back now. <clears throat> yeah, I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Dark Marvel stole all the good Dark Horse comics. Mm-hmm. They also stole Star Wars, which yeah. is one of the good ones. Yeah, the good Dark Horse comics. It's the biggest one. But uh, Conan like wore armor and pants whenever available. He just... Yeah. And now know. they're like, hey, everyone saw that Schwarzenegger movie, right? Yeah. Well... See, that's the problem. With he did the, punch a camel. <laughs> you know, that's going to forgive a lot of almost dick shots, actually. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sword and Sorcery is more about uh, the individual striving against, like, normally impossible demonic odds. Uh, some kind of unknowable, destructive evil that they have to fight. And it's usually more about uh, the strength of the individual or a small group. Right. Against whatever the evil thing is, that's a dick- um, and a lot more like uh, I think Fourth Edition described it as points of light, where there's people, and some of the people live in cities, and then anywhere that there's not people, there's monsters. Okay, so it's a much more localized threat, almost. Uh, yeah, it's dealing with the horrible sorcerer lord who lives in that tower right there, and probably has some treasure, and is definitely kidnapping people and to turn them into sludge. An you know, an Isla space elephant. You know, this is all poor space elephant. Yeah. Okay. And again, this might go off the idea of like, like stealing for different types of art here. This basically sounds like a lot of old westerns, almost, where like all of the issues are in this town. Like, really, replace that with, like, town in New Mexico and replace wizard with mayor. You gave me an amazing idea for a Western. <laughs> but you've also gave me an amazing idea for a topic we can Also, that's Deadlands. Uh, yes, it is Deadlands. <laughs> um, because I did this when we did the fantasy campaign, and I'm doing it in this campaign. When you're building a world and you really want to get a feel for it, and when you're starting off specifically new players, keep it to a small geographic location. Because you have a lot of control over that. So, like, when I had you in that town whose name I forget, I think it was Fleischdorf. Anyways. I want to say it started with a B. Look, I can look up a map and find it. It's, yeah, it's uh, very dramatic sounding. Yeah, it was a big dramatic mashup. But when you're building that world to kind of get those mechanics down, it doesn't hurt to do it on a micro scale first. So you can understand, like, okay, and what I'm doing right now, I have a town in the mountains, okay? Well, um, what, you know, races are going to be there? Are there elves? Are there dwarves? Are this? How do they interact? And then once I figure all that out on this micro scale, you can scale it up to apply to everything. Or maybe this is an exception to the rule, in which case you can use that as well. So I think that, as far as world building, um, like Matt jumps right in. I like the idea of keeping it small. And I know that's conflicting yeah. advice. No, but uh, <laughs> one, of the reasons, one of the reasons that there are now three of us is that we have differing opinions. I was going to say, uh, your, uh, your method is referred to as, I think in and then out, and then mine is referred to as out and then in. Uh, oh, what I boy. normally do is start with like a very broad kind of theme that I want to explore, and then I figure out how, in general, a, wor- a world would function. Like, um, uh, a while back, I wanted to create a world where magic was dangerous and uh, people had to do a lot of fighting. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay... That's the world. What kind of large event could cause that on a global scale? Uh, the king got killed by a boar and it's replaced with a ten-year-old? You're thinking too small. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I created a world where magic 
broke and went wild under the strain of wizards. Ah. And so the world was basically decimated by magical storms and the people who could still command magic could only do so dangerously. This is a random um, thought, but um, do you guys run into a problem where you come up with what you thought was an interesting world idea and then a JRPG does the exact same thing as you? That has only happened, I think, twice. I've got twice as well. Yeah, I think, uh, it's, I think it's at least once. Uh, also, sorry, one of mine, um, I was trying to come up with an idea where all of the, like, it's typical fantasy D&D stuff, but all of the uh, the individual towns and dungeons are on top of, like, Terrasks that are wandering across, like, an abandoned planet. That sounds amazing. And that's also Xenoblade 2. I was about to that sounds really familiar. <laughs> yeah. And then, the other one, this is my favorite thing, accidentally was the secret ending to Saints Row 3. <laughs> I don't know how to deal with that. I... Had the idea of using dimensional rifts to send a generic team of D and D travelers to a realm inhabited by sentient dinosaurs. That oh wait wait <laughs> uh, that actually happened to us. Yeah, uh, in a... I was there. Oh yeah, yes, this one, this one. Yeah. So uh, wait, were you there for? No, no, you were in an entirely different time that happened. That's right. So, um, <laughs> that's happened to me twice. The first time we were playing with a DM who maybe didn't understand how levels and challenge rating worked a mm. lot. Uh, or maybe really did. Definitely not the second one. Pause, uh, pause, pause. Uh, figure out levels and challenge rating while you're building your world. Go on. Um, uh, Some games don't have that. Sometimes though. they don't, but... It, I know well, we basically... I have, I have a thought for you that. You have a thought of that. We basically but, talk but, as if we're talking about Dungeons & Dragons, but some games just don't it's really... It's applicable, though. I mean, there's there's usually... You can usually at least eyeball whether or not a situation will 100% kill the players. You would think that, but you guys have killed every boss I've thrown at you in Mutant Year Zero in the first goddamn round. That uh, so game that's basically is, how I felt about 5th Edition. Yeah, this guy has seven armor and does enough damage to kill you with one hit. Oh, he's dead. I basically had to get to a point where, in 5th edition, where I was just like, here's a scenario that I'm 100% sure it's going to kill at least three players. Oh, good, it was at least a challenge before they everyone died. Well, yeah, was that the same one someone went blind and also deaf? Yes, that was the one where someone's eyes got cut out with an axe. And then they went deaf. And then they went deaf. Um... Two things I was talking about. One was the fact that at one point we were playing a campaign with a DM who decided that there was an, in- an unstoppably powerful wizard who wanted us to die. So we just plane shifted to the elemental plane of dinosaurs and opened a taco shop for semi-sentient dinosaurians. Um, if, okay, first off, that's beautiful. That's poetry right there. But also, um, the elemental plane of blank, going off normal like Wizards of the Coast established trademarked lore is a plane mostly made of that. Like, the elemental plane of water is just an endless ocean. Yeah, with water elementals in it. So, are you telling me that this plane is just made of dinosaurs? It's a giant dinosaur with dinosaurs on it. Mostly, yes. And then it was struck by the elemental plane of meteors and became Earth. In a different campaign we were in. (laughs) (laughs) So, that part The target was in that one, which was a time travel campaign set in real Earth... Wherein the after we solved all the problems in the world by destroying America before it was founded. That's right. Um, we manipulated the economy at one point too. We did a lot of bad shit. Uh, <laughs> the because you should never ever give either of us access to time travel. Definitely not both. The future was invaded by dinosaur time colonists who were trying to escape the meteor, and we had to go back in time and fight them. And whoever GM'd this is an amazing soul, and I don't know how they dealt with also, you. Also, we ended Armand, the Roman, you're fantastic. We ended the Roman Empire too. 
Oh, we totally did. How many empires did you end? Many. Also, I feel like you skipped a lot of that probably should have been ended. Look. Look. How did you have a time travel game and not even consider punching Hitler? We killed Hitler twice. (laughs) Did you, like, do it and then go back, like, two weeks and do it again? No, we killed Hitler and then we went back uh, to 20 minutes after that and killed Mecha Hitler. (laughs) Wow, they did not waste any time getting that set up. Huh? That ended with me giving myself my spare rockets because I knew we were I was about to be betrayed by the time travel organization. Didn't that happen in Time Splitters like at least once? Yes. Okay. I wouldn't know. <laughs> but it fun. didn't occur to me at the time. I just realized I was in the same Russian troop transport as myself. And so I went, <laughs> hey, you're about to be betrayed. Here are some spare rockets. That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> so... <clears throat> There was a point here. Swagger flew a fighter plane to kill a Tyrannosaurus Rex with a top hat. I did. Uh, (laughs) Where did you get a top hat? No, the dinosaurs developed clothes because they were sentient. Uh, Yeah, he had a top hat. I had a, I think it was a Spitfire. Yeah. (laughs) We were trying to do the math on if, like, one stick of TNT does, like, 2d6 damage, how much does one 500-pound bomb attached to a modified Spitfire do? Oh, boy. The answer is many. Yeah. It was a lot. Oh, dear. Okay, I feel like we got slightly off topic. Really? Uh, Really? Um, How long can we talk about dinosaurs, kids? uh, Created World of Theme. This really dope one with a hard head. (laughs) (laughs) Created a reason for that theme to exist, and then I just kept going inwards a layer at a time until I reached uh, an ancient artifact building that had some kind of like pre-industrial tribe living in it and then I figured out who their enemies in the vicinity were and based uh, adventures off of that. Okay. Um, This is going to be fun because again, with three people, we get three different ideas. Um, Mine is by far not the good one. But um, because my attempt at world building, um, I've begun to use what I can only describe as the Kingdom Hearts method in which I start with a good idea. And then I have to desperately come up with shit to make it work as time progresses. It's a good idea, and then the rest. Yeah. It's like, like you have the concept, and then you go out, and there are fun adventures. But what's the point? Oh, shit. I was supposed to have a point? Uh, (laughs) Hold on. Scribble, scribble, scribble. Here you go. Also, there's time travel, and the main boss is the same guy 13 times in a row. I I think that there's something to be said for that method, because there's a lot of flexibility there. Yeah, like that's the thing, is that... Um, for the two games that I've attempted to run for this group, stuff is basically being made up on the fly. I won't lie to you, and I'm sure you noticed. Sometimes I literally wrote nothing. I just showed up with the books and a vague idea of how the game worked and was just gonna see what happened. To be fair, the last session I ran for a mat, when it was the big final finale, mm-hmm. Every it was kind of like an instance thing I put them through. They were each... I wrote one flavor sentence <laughs> on my fucking notepad that informed the entire bit of that adventure. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, we're veering dangerously into another thing I have written down on here. Then let's... Um, can I, I, yeah, we've probably covered uh, the different stances on world building enough. Mm-hmm. I did want to talk about verisimilitude, which... Uh, real quick, which is the... That. Verisimilitude is... Uh, the world it's basically the world making sense right it's um i'd rather it didn't if you i don't want to run a game where at some where i can't explain everything that's happened i don't want uh villains who just do a dumb thing in service of the plot i don't want uh a world where things 
just go, oh no, it, it all worked out because the plot demands it. I like I like to create a world where uh the story is created by the world rather than the world being influenced by the story. Okay, definitely a good way to go about it. But how do you do that in spite of the player characters? Uh, I have killed a lot of player characters. <laughs> you guys we used to put skulls on the player on the uh, DM screens. We did, yeah. Um, Will I, has a lot. Yeah, Will does. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of upset I didn't get to do it the player death episode. Um, because that, we'll probably do we'll, it again. Uh, mm-hmm. Our anniversary episode, we're already planning to do Death Redux. Okay, good. Because good. there's way more to talk about, and the quality of it was shit. Because I have thoughts. Don't be afraid to kill them. Um, yeah, but <laughs> that's where we stood. The idea was you can kill them, but you don't have to. I mean, don't be afraid to kill them. Don't be afraid to let them die. Don't be afraid to bring them back if you've got a good reason to. All right. Yeah, because um, that rewards good roleplay. It does yeah. Also, don't kill in service of the plot. Let the plot come out of death. Why are we talking about this again? Know. We no, just I think did. That, it. No, that was the last sentence. We're good. We're good. We're done. <laughs> that was everything. We're okay, good. we're good. See, so verisimilitude. Yeah. Um, I lost the thread. Uh, <laughs> a friend of ours who is a far better DM than any of us, or probably any two of us put together, used to talk to me about fridge logic, which was he didn't want anything in his campaign to stop making sense if the player, like, stopped playing the game to go get a drink and thought about it for a minute. So it was, it was, well, That's what that means. I yeah. thought that had something to do with fridging, like, the act of, like, oh, no, murdering someone just, to advance the plot. That's just horrible. Okay. Uh, I remember a... Well, fridge logic is also kind of horrible. Well, yeah. I remember, I distinctly remember a very long conversation we had once where we were trying to figure out how dwarves kept water out of their minds. That's they did. Why, that's, why they that's why they do it in mountains. It's above sea level. We never met a dwarf in that campaign. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> you guys couldn't see it, but I definitely... Yeah, I, that my hand, my face was in my hands for that one, because I remember that conversation. And that was Will, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I stopped saying his name for a minute well, there, but we already said it twice, so yeah. what's three times? So that's the... the, the Will, he is kind of like the exception to the norm. Because I remember every time we started a campaign, he'd come with a, I think it was a three-ring binder. With and an entirely new world in it. With an entirely new world in it. And you could ask him stuff like, hey, we're going here. Do they have a flag? And he'd be like, well, actually. Here's their flag. And he'd flip to the flag. Here are their, here are their exports. <laughs> and here are their internally consumed items in order of importance. This is getting to the point where it's like, is there a sale at this bakery? Yeah. What's the birth date of the mayor's assistant? And you'd ask if there's a sale at the bakery. He'd be like, Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> So that, while that's admirable and great as a player and likely as a DM because you have the answers for everything, it's definitely something, you know... I would say it's not necessary. In my mind, it's not necessary as long as you make sure that the answers you come up with obey obey the same internal logic of the rest of your world. Uh, At the same time, he's still the best DM I've ever played with. He's still the best DM. That that is the goal. That's everyone's white whale at that point. And... It's not a requirement. I mean, as you definitely didn't have to make an entirely new world each time. We no, got party wipes. Not. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's insane. Like you could have used the same world because everyone's dead. Yeah. Also, you probably saw like three percent of it. That's correct. We had one. <laughs> if that. If that, we had one campaign that was solely centered around, I think, a single castle. Uh, then... Are you talking about the mercenary campaign? Yeah. Uh, How where... did you die? Uh, web spell and fireball. Oof. I'm sorry, ice ball. 
It was definitely better. within CR, which is an entirely different worry. Um, yeah, we'll get to, I think that's a whole episode of... Yeah, we'll, we'll do an episode about balancing encounters and whether or not you should. Yeah. Um, eh, maybe. Uh, we talked earlier about balancing encounters and whether or not you should. We didn't edit this. I'm just saying the same sentence twice. Okay. Um, and I'm not going to talk about that. What I'm going to talk about is both the verisimilitude aspect and how it affects the dangerous world you create for your players. Matt just really likes that word. SAT word, man. Hey, <laughs> I did great on my SAT English. <laughs> I don't remember. I, I have a job, so I guess it went fine. <laughs> um, so I favor the, uh, the Fallout New Vegas approach, wherein you create a world... Uh, and it kind of explain the dangers in it th- to the players in character. You can say, hey, don't go into that forest. It's full of owlbears who will fucking murder you. Um, hey, there's uh, a goblins have stolen the town's favorite pig. Here's right. a quest for you. I think um, it's a good idea both to uh, create a world where dangers of varying levels are present that players can seek out if they wish, and I think that it's uh, a good idea to kind of... It makes sense in-universe that, like, a group of yahoos who showed up at a random fucking town uh, with maybe, like, one horse between them and definitely two days' worth of food and six copper would be given kind of shitty jobs to start with. Yeah. Look, you got to kill the rats in the cellar. It's a thing. And then once you once your characters have progressed and done some cool stuff... They'll start getting approached by people who have more impressive uh, quests or jobs for them, depending on whatever the game is. You know, you could just play Hackmaster. They have a whole system for this. We could play Hackmaster if you motherfuckers would make characters for it. I, I don't remember what the character sheet looks like, so I immediately veto that idea. There's probably some stats on it. It looks like AD&D, but better. <laughs> There's like a box where you can draw so, your dude that no one ever um, draws their dude in. Swagga did. Adam did. Uh, yeah. um, I like the I went arts. to art school, though. So I went to art school, and I don't. Yeah, um, I accidentally got an arts degree. <laughs> <laughs> Look, so, apparently you can get a BA in anything. You really Do you guys can. know that? Well, excuse me, sir. I got a BFA, Bachelor of Fine Arts. No. I have a BSA, <laughs> which was I was trying to get a BS, and then they told me I could graduate right now instead. <laughs> I mean, that's a good deal. I got a BA in technology. Which is, I think, the worst of all three of these. <laughs> yeah, you only have two letters. Yeah. I can draw so, a computer on a computer. A real, a real quick note about what uh, Matt was saying about danger. Um, like, you know, have your busted basic guys get busted basic jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, once you kind of get your feet under you and kind of understand how to run and uh, balance challenge levels, you can also make it an incredibly harrowing experience. To put your characters in a situation where they're entirely out of their depth and have them try to figure out how to deal with it, which is something me and Matt were talking about recently, about the werewolves. So I've noticed recently, especially, players don't run away anymore. They do not. They kind of assume that whatever scenario they're in, uh, they're probably going to win. Yeah, man, you closed the door, the boss health bar came up, it's time to party. Yeah, uh... Back in my day, and your day, and also your day. We're the same fucking um, age. Fuck you. <laughs> We're off by f- seven days? Four days? No, oh, jeez. Um, seven or... Yeah, I think, like eight. Eight, I think. I don't know. Matt, this is not the 20th. I got... Look, fuck I got, you. I went to art school. You're asking me to do math. No, that would have been too awesome. Uh, also, 
I love that you've been trying to keep your your dob secret forever. Then you just fucking said it on a recording, more or less. I didn't say which month or year. Yeah, you got us there. <laughs> I'll edit this down. Or which direction from from his his Up, birthday down. not being the twentieth. Transpose thirty days. The moral of this story... I mean, I'm going to edit this out, but you only brought that up because there's no way in hell your birthday is 420, but... <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. The moral of the story is that... Um, I really wish I could remember what the fuck we were talking about specifically because I knew it we was about, about danger. The werewolf The werewolf campaign, campaign was great, um, and we can get into that in detail... And, whenever. And like, we'll have a balancing a special episode. special yeah. edition episode someday. Yeah, like, we'll have a balancing um, episode, so I don't want to jump into this too hard right yeah. now. Yeah. I think creating a world with uh, a lot of interesting dangers of various levels that people can know about and then know that they can't like necessarily go into the owlbear for forest at level one without being eaten by owlbears. You can't go into the owlbear forest ever. Those things suck. True. Uh, means that at some point, maybe not the owlbear forest, but at some point they'll be dangerous enough that they can go into the cool places and do exploration there if they want, but they know about it beforehand, so it feels like a reward as they uh, level up. Okay. I also think, obviously, obviously we're not making like a fucking video game we're not creating static quests at some point you do have to create things to tailor them to your players so uh in most of the initial quests that they should have access to probably because if like four fucking nobody yahoos show up to show up at the palace and go hey king will save the world from war they should definitely just be like shoved away by the guard um i feel like we should encourage them yes stop it over there! Off you go. Um, and uh, just on a quick note of what you said about vis-a-vis video games and static quests, when you're building this world, uh, or a world, or your world, I think something you want to try and think about is think about that, because video games are static, and the real strength of this medium is the dynamism and obviously, uh, that you can bring to it. So when you're designing, don't think, you know, Joe Farmer is a quest giver. If he's going to interact with the players, he should probably have at least a small... You don't even have to write down. Mm-hmm. Make him a small person. Give him uh, something he cares about and something he dislikes. Mm-hmm. Because that will make, A, the interaction richer, and B, make it feel more organic. Which, again, that's that's why we play. Because yeah. mm-hmm. we're building these organic stories with people. And when that's part of the equation at ground zero, when the world's being built, those stories will feel all the more rich when your players are interacting with them. Now, I've never done this myself, but an interesting idea there is that, like, every NPC that pops up, you should have at least two or three interesting things about them. Like, just have some quirk that makes them real. So, uh, I have, for a long time, if I, if I have the time, sometimes I have to skimp on this a little bit, uh, what I like to do is go through everything the players are likely to encounter be it a, a place or a person or an object uh and write three things about it okay whether it's a person it's their personality it's their uh appearance it's their likely reaction to the pc whatever just have three things about it because a you can normally get through about three sentences of description before the players get bored uh yeah because at that point they either need a quest or they're going to rob it or kill it and B, at that point, even if you haven't gotten through the description for the item to the players, you still have an idea in your head uh, you, that you formed about what the item is, uh, or the object, or the place. So I ran a um, 
uh, I ran a heist recently, and I went through every room that I thought the players would get into uh, and wrote three sentences of description about it. But how do you deal with the ones that they get into randomly? Like, what happens if someone strikes up a conversation with an NPC that you wrote because, oh shit, I guess somebody should be here? That actually hasn't happened to me in, like, a long time, but, um... Like... How do we feel about the idea of having just like a list of randomly generated quirks? I, I like, do we have like a manic pixie dream girl list and um, just grab three of them? So, uh, on that note, I roll all my random encounters and generate all of my NPC, most of my NPC names uh, in advance, and then add descriptive factors to them. Okay. Uh, sometimes I'll, sometimes I'll do it kind of piecemeal. I'll have. Like like you said, I'll have a list of descriptive factors, a list of names, and uh, a list of NPCs that the players are going to meet if I don't have the time to kind of bespoke everything. And then it's like, oh, they met the Doc Master. I'm, he's getting, I'm pulling the first name from the list here. I'm pulling the first three traits from the list here and then marking them as used. His name is Mortimer, and he's a gruff, one-handed, now- uh, used car salesman type. I actually ran into that recently. I don't take Matt's approach, so it was kind of on the seat of my pants. I had the players go to a warehouse. Um, I'm sure you remember Matt. This was in the Warhammer campaign I ran recently. They went to a warehouse oh, in those a guys. warehouse Alex district. Was also there. Yeah, Alex was there. Yeah, I and, think I died. Uh, no, my dog died, though. You Well, you would have died except for Facebook. In the sewers. Yeah. Um, but you guys decided after getting the clues I wanted you to get, you guys went to a second warehouse. And I was like, oh, shit. And I didn't want it to be an empty warehouse because that's boring. So I, without Matt's prior preparation, I had to throw some a person together from nothing. So I threw together the warehouse manager that you guys met, who I made, I, I couldn't figure out his motivation for being in an empty warehouse, aside from he was being paid to do it. Mm-hmm. And even with that one, it gave me a good idea of who that was, even though I was going a thousand miles an hour. Because I was like, first off, this guy's down to spend his whole day in an empty warehouse. Mm-hmm. So he probably really needs or wants this money, which is why he ended up having someone punch him and tip his own desk over on himself. <laughs> so even like even if you get caught out in the open, as it were, with that, if you can on the fly come up with one piece of that person and who he is... You can make him, because again, they're not going to talk to him for very long. You guys interacted with him about, I don't know, two minutes. After, after which he asked you to punch him and then threw himself on top of his desk and flipped it over. Yeah, so that way it looks like, oh no, so we were attacked. Yeah, it looks like he got robbed. But just having that one, just having enough, like, just weirdo people traits in your head can save you from a lack of preparation. Not that I endorse that. But it is an option. So I have a, have a slightly tan- two slightly t- tangential thoughts. One is don't be afraid to just steal characters from things that you've That is you've true. Done. Yeah. Two, there are some things where I feel like the, the DM's preparation are kind of sacrosanct. Like if you create a encounter or something, you definitely shouldn't make it harder just because your your players figured it out already. They should be rewarded for their good work. But if you create a character and then somebody makes like a joke or an offhand comment and you realize that's way better uh, than the the kind of... Because a lot of times, as a DM, you have to create hundreds of characters of the case, course of a campaign. 
And not all of them are going to be super interesting people. But if somebody gives you the option to make an amazing character, you should definitely jump on it. Which is how we ended up with, uh, I have his name here, it's either Johnny Sixhands or Sammy Sixhands, <laughs> who is a halfling who is six hands tall and speaks with a like a New Jersey mob accent. <laughs> um, on that note, and this is something I'll keep coming back to in probably all of these episodes, of, um when even though you're building this world it's not just your world your players are part of it and you're once you're done with your pre-preparation you guys are building the story together so there's no shame or there's no downside to taking ideas that your players might come with up with naturally at the table and incorporating them into what's happening yeah i, th- I think we're all definitely proponents of player DM cooperation and filling in the world and allowing, especially allowing players to describe things that maybe you didn't Mm -hmm. have a set description for. And when you start that first session, sit down and talk about it for a bit. Like, this is what I made, but what do you guys want out of this too? Mm -hmm. Because it's only fun if everyone's having fun. The whole thing is basically a giant improv exercise between you and your friends. But like, the good type of improv, where people are having fun. And everyone knows the yes and rule. Was, yeah, was um, that the thing you were going to say, or were you going to say a different thing? It was basically that idea, yeah. Right. Yeah, it's just the overall idea that DMing is a very, like, best laid plans of mice and men type of thing, mm-hmm. in which it's probably not going to go the way you want to, and that's almost the point. Uh, the yes and improving I find, works especially well if you have a player whose background could conceivably tie into the, the events going on right now, because... If you've got players who are even, like, moderate, then hopefully they've thought about their character and maybe the world they want their character to exist in. So if you go, oh, no, you guys are looking for a crime syndicate that I haven't made up yet, describe the crime syndicate to me, to the crime player. And then your resident edgelord can be like, I used to be in them. Cool, who are they? Yeah, and then who knows, that might become something amazing like i don't know spike and vicious and cowboy bebop yeah but you have to be careful because giving a single player too much ability to like yes and off of that you're gonna end up with a chosen one and you don't really want that yeah obviously uh you're the dm you need to maintain control of the story you need to maintain control of the world the story can go wherever the players kind of decide it needs to yeah um but uh if the if it's like oh i worked for this crime syndicate but uh, they loved me too much, and I had to leave. Just be like, nah, maybe not that. Don't create a world that hates your players, which is a, a a scenario a lot of DMs fall into because they're they can't really conceive of another way to create challenge other than to have every single person think that the players kind of suck. Um, <laughs> Death and dismemberment isn't the only punishment you can deal out. I definitely had a dwarf king get really mad at me for rescuing some of his subjects. Okay. Because he was like, no, you broke the truce with the Durger. And I went, I don't know, man. They kidnapped like a fucking bunch of you. So maybe... So, I think, okay. So what, what, do you have another topic on in your notebook? Or are we just gonna... Uh, yes. We were getting into, we've been doing my version of world building where we get uh, tighter and tighter on the focus. Right. Uh, I was going to talk about preparation for specific challenges now. Okay, yeah. Um, um, so my my personal preference uh, is to create dangerous situations for the players and then allow them to uh, resolve them. Sometimes I'll come up with, like, not always even, but sometimes I'll come up with a way that 
I would solve this as the DM with perfect information about the about the problem. Mm-hmm. But obviously, your players don't have that, so what? So you need to be uh, open to their ideas. Mm-hmm. But I, what I tend to do is create a situation or a dungeon or a trap or a puzzle and just place it before the players to see how they try to resolve it. And sometimes they come up with things that make sense, and sometimes they don't, and then they die. Um, the uh, or you know they are disgraced or what have you, depending on the issue. Uh, the old old school dungeoneering. And I guess running any prepared module all kind of play under the same uh, premise where you create, uh, you've you've basically created a puzzle and you've entered into a social contract not to change the puzzle in any way. Even if the puzzle is like a dungeon filled with kobolds or whatever uh, that's mostly fighting. And then the players try to solve that puzzle using their characters as the uh, their tools to interact with the world. And definitely let them play within that space. Like, every wrong idea doesn't have to be met with a harsh punishment. And especially if they come up with something that you didn't expect, but it sounds good in the moment, mm-hmm. can lead to something really great. Like, I had um, I had y'all in a, kind of an illusion room with a giant snake in the grass and a, a little girl wailing her head off. And I was like, okay, well, the, the concept was the girl's a demon and it's all in their brains. And a player had an idea to cast a sleep spell on the girl not to harm her or make her easier to kill, but to shut her up so the snake wouldn't hear her. <laughs> and I, I was like, I had never thought of that, but it's a perfect solution. So when you give them these hard, hard, hard situations to deal with, if they come up with something you never thought of, but in the moment you're like, that's amazing, then let that char- character feel special for having that idea. Um, uh, honestly, I'll put up most puzzles with the sole purpose of I don't have a way to solve this. Okay. I know a lot of things that will not work. <laughs> like, be like, you have to go in here. The three or four immediate obvious things you thought of aren't going to work. I thought of those. How do you do it? So it's like, you'll just be in a dungeon with like six pencils and a John Denver CD. Just <laughs> surprise me. That's very, very similar to the same sentence I was going to say. Uh, I was also going to reference the old uh, joke. You're trapped in a... You're trapped in like a featureless eight foot by eight foot by eight foot stone wall or stone room, uh, and all you have is a piece of chalk. How do you get out? <laughs> and you break the piece of chalk and have to make a hole. I, I especially like, and this is just as a as a aside. I like giving weird stuff or introducing weird stuff to the world just to see what the players will do with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm pretty sure that you guys turning your goat into a bartender uh, has benefited you guys several benefited you like a lot Babs has been super useful in that campaign yeah Babs is great Uh, she's also our mascot now so yeah yeah Uh, we have a group that can't speak like any human languages they just trained a goat to like pour drinks yeah we're like pseudo professional wrestlers with a goat theme at this point we were talking about goat goat sex boat recently uh, I, if I remember correctly, Babs ended up calming down the uh, lightning goat that you guys were supposed to capture, and that didn't occur to me at all. Oh, yeah. Right. I was like, oh, oh, wait, there's already a goat. Yeah. Yeah. We had a goat. Uh, my um, favorite one of those that I pulled, it was um, super old school D&D, where just do whatever you want, basically. Um, I had all my players, they just walked into a room, and then the floor just disappeared. It's like, okay, we're now in a giant well, you are falling, you'll hit the ground in about six turns. 
do something and just um what was the answer scream um I was gonna we say. had a handful of wizards who were like you're lame levitate anyway uh, a few other people were trying all the obvious stuff like i cling to the wall use this pole my favorite though that ended up saving most of them for reasons i don't remember one of them had a collapsible raft nice I which he that. just yeah, which he just decided was inflatable because that's how those work. Sure. So he grabbed it, pulled the ripcord, and it just filled up the wall and grabbed everyone. <laughs> I'm like, that is not what that's for. I'm so happy for you right now. That reminds me of going through a uh, tomb of annihilation with slippers of spider climb. <laughs> apparently, if you're walking along the wall, ninety percent of that dungeon won't kill you. Yeah, like all the traps, <sighs> all the traps are on the floor. Yeah, gravity helps us, except for the ninety percent of us that can break it. Yeah, it's, I was good, well, I mean, that was less common in AD&D and 3.0, but yeah, well, I guess if you're like a 14th level wizard and you can't break, uh, Featherfall, what are you even doing with your life? <laughs> um, staying on the ground, mostly. Apparently, yes. But yeah, it's mostly like deadly pit traps, I'm just walking along the wall. Good times. Huh. Yeah. So do we have anything else? Uh, let me check my notes. We've been here for approximately forever, so it might be time for some housekeeping. Uh, do do do. Housekeeping. Honestly, all that was going to boil down to while Matt is reading our notes here. There are notes now. I've called dibs. I was going to say pulling back uh, a moment from individual scenarios and the construction thereof. I did want to say that one of the th- the better things to do if you're trying to create a more narrative driven campaign uh, is to write, kind of write the story how you how you would want it to happen. And then kind of go through each major decision process and think about what you think the players would do. And then if you're a new DM, especially, I would suggest this, go through each decision point in the campaign and think of the absolute stupidest fucking thing anyone could possibly do in that scenario and prepare for that. (laughs) Yes. Because they probably won't do that. But there's a good chance that in at least like half of those, they'll do something similar. And with new players, there's a chance that someone is going to be that guy when the king decides to have his guards shove you off because you're a bunch of wahoos trying to end the war. There's gonna, there might be that guy that's going to stab a guard. Yeah, he's oh, going to yeah. stab a guard and try to kill the king. And then, so, as we discussed in the death episode, he's going to get hung. Yeah, <laughs> that boy dead. So, or just created an entire prison break episode. Or that. So, like God said, plan for it. Yeah. <laughs> or don't let shit happen sometimes well, that's fun too you still have to plan for the world that reacts to the shit okay so we're not saying have a whole thing written out but just don't stare flabbergasted but when they he, do it if yeah. he did kill the king yeah if the if the guy manages to kill the king and you've created a world in which killing the king makes you the new king that informs the story and the setting yeah <laughs> the uh mostly in that the three guards guarding the king are now going to try and kill you I think, and this is a good note uh, to end on, the most important part of preparing for any RPG is being emotionally prepared for absolutely any, like, whatever (laughs) stupid bullshit the players can come up with happening. Like, as long as you're ready for something completely insane, you're probably going to be okay. And remember, these people are your friends. For now. We had a... We had that... uh, Dark Heresy campaign where you guys managed to show up a week before the problem started. <laughs> yeah, that was wild. And I was ready for it. That was great. So yeah, um, plan for these things. 
Free planning. Plan for these things. Plan for things you haven't even thought of. It doesn't have to be a lot of planning. Um, unless you're doing a dungeon crawl, you probably don't need to map out every encounter. But you should have... You should have an idea that you've thought of for more than a couple of minutes about pretty much anything they, they're likely to encounter in the game. And if you have a trusted player you've been friends with a long time and you can trust not to take advantage of information you provide them with or a significant other or a friend or anything, just throw ideas off them every once in a while because things sound real good in your nog, but when you've been working on a setting for 20, 30, 40 hours, you're an inch, an inch from your face and sometimes when you tell someone something, they're like, that doesn't make sense. And then you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, so, it's it's like the real point of any proofreading. Like, you want someone to look over it, not to make sure it sounds good, but to make sure it sounds good to anyone that isn't you. And, yeah, you, would, you wouldn't have written it down if it didn't make sense. But does it make sense to everyone else? And real talk here, I know at least for me, and I'm going to say maybe for a majority of people that do this, sharing those ideas, like the nuts and bolts and all that kind of stuff of your world can be scary because you are invested in it and that sucks and it's horrible and no one loves it. But if you want to grow and be, you know, proactive in your enjoyment of this hobby, don't be afraid to share your ideas because the people you play with and hopefully the people that you interact with care about you caring about something. So always, you know, just make that effort and maybe you'll be better off as a person and as a friend or significant other or whatever it is who you're talking to. I've, uh, this is probably going to be a whole other episode, but uh, I've found that having like a discussion about the way you've created the world and kind of what it's geared towards can help inform player action to create the story that you guys all kind of want to make together. Yeah, so talk it out. With your players, with your friends, with whoever, just speak it to someone. I do even I bounce it off my mom a lot, but she introduced <laughs> me to fantasy stuff, so you know. Your mom is dope. That's pretty <laughs> rad. Uh, Alex, you were gonna say something? Uh, that just sounded like some nice sentimental shit to go out on. Well, so okay, <laughs> uh, cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was just gonna run some like general housekeeping shit here. Hey, so thanks again for listening, guys. I'm s- still only mildly sure what I'm doing here, but I'm a hundred percent sure, and it's not great. Uh, Only one of us has ever done this professionally before, and he has a deeply biased opinion about how badly we're doing. Deep, big, huge air quotes on professionally. Um, But no, it's been an absolute blast. Hey, you would have been paid if that guy was paying people. Look, it it was an absolute blast to be here today. Mm -hmm. I mean, by all means, continue to stick around. Um, So Robert here may not be a super regular member, but... You don't live that far. We can drag I you in. I really don't, so I'm, I'll show up when I can. There you go. Oh, and I did not mention this last time. We do have an email for anybody interested. We're obviously throwing out a bunch of ideas. It is an advice show, so we'd love to hear from people. Um, if you just want to get over to thegmscreen at gmail.com, just throw us whatever. I'll check it occasionally. All right. That's the spirit. Yeah. All right. Uh, Thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks so much. Um, Yet again, uh, this is the GM Screen. I'm Alex. I'm Matt. Robert. And as always, please don't split the party.